Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Ayala Wellard, Company Director of Busy Bees Day Nursery, a childcare center based in Worcester Park. Ayala, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, I think we need to address the elephant in the room to just begin with. Uh, we are currently in the middle of the uh, the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, how is that affecting your business at this point in time? Plenty of edicts. I'm sorry, could you say that again? Plenty of edicts. Okay. The so- way this affects our business because we are a nursery. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you know, they ask, some of the nursery to close is very confusing what we're supposed to do at the moment. We close or we open or we open for the key workers, children or the special needs children. So it's a very confusing time uh, for us. We try to right. keep a uh, level added with regard to all of this situation. So it's a very confusing time. Do you think uh, yeah. that there needs to be uh, some very much more clear guidance as to what uh, institutions like yourself should be doing? Yes. Yes, we, we do. Because they ask us to close, but from the other end, they said, no, you, you can keep open for key workers, uh, parents, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. does make sense because we do need to keep open. I strongly believe we need to keep open so this country cannot uh, collapse Economically, they will not collapse. Uh, and I think people forget about it. And we need to keep above everybody mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to keep a level added to make sure that we provide the service to our parents and children. But we take a very, very strict precautions when it comes to our infectious uh, disease. Uh, so a sense of calm is, is what you're advocating. We are very, yeah, to keep calm, to keep calm and to keep uh, level-headed. Well, of we course. We don't want the, the economy to be affected. Of course, uh, it comes in many different shapes, uh, this this sort of uh, economic disruption. Uh, but being that this is a world crisis, um, all economies will be affected uh, do you feel that at least that is some consolation in that that we're all we won't be uh, less better off uh, than others in this circumstance? I feel that England is a very strong country, and I feel the government uh, they are taking a very reasonable step. They don't they don't act on panic at the moment. However, with regard to our sector. Uh, we would like to be clear if everybody closed or we open just for the key workers. I believe we should be open for the key workers and for the parents because some parents need to go to work, some parents need to pay bills. So I believe we should be uh, open, but we need to take a very uh, precaution. Now let's uh, subject, uh, let's take a a change in subject here to uh, the subject of leadership. Um, That is why uh, we are 
talking today. And as uh, most regular listeners to the podcast will expect me to ask you, what does the word leader mean to you? Make difficult decisions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't, uh, it's exactly the same subject that we, talk, we just discussed. Make a difficult decision. Uh, look at the, at the big pictures. Uh, do not panic. Lead by an example. And be very, very strong. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Uh, as, as I just said, I, I level added, uh, I can't panic. I just can't panic what's going on around. I need to lead, to lead my staff. I need, I need to lead the parents. I just, I just need to keep above. Do you feel Everybody. that different sorts of leadership is necessary with these different stakeholder groups, whether it be your pupils, your staff, or uh, the parents' groups? Yeah, yeah, you, you have all kind of type of leadership. With the staff, you need to sh- you need to calm them down. You need to uh, you need they need to act by example. You need to come to work. You can't just collapse. Uh, we don't have um, we can't take day off. We need to continue because this is our business. Right. Uh, this is our livelihood. With the parents, you need to be there to calm them down, to, to show them that we, there is a support for them. So it's different to my staff, different to the children, different to the parents, different kind of leadership. But at the end of the day, is support and level added. That's what we need as a leader. Now, of course, uh, leadership just doesn't come out of uh, uh, out of. Uh, thin air. Uh, there's a firm basis uh, in the past. Now, let's go back to the very beginning of your working life when you first started out in the world of work. Were there any particular influences on you, whether they be a uh, person that you worked with or for, or a set of circumstances that really formed the way that you lead today? Uh, not really, because I started my business very, very early, 35 years ago. Mm. Uh, and I started it uh, because I couldn't find any good childcare for my children. So I decided to open my own business. And um, plus the way that other businesses were, were running, uh, I didn't agree with. So I created my own ethos and aim and projected. And it's still the way I lead. And of course, I lead by example. I lead by example, and of course, I made mistakes, but I just make sure that I learn from my mistakes. Nobody, uh, nobody born leader, a leader without making mistakes. We do make mistakes, but I need to learn from these mistakes and take them forward, and not to repeat the mistakes. Absolutely, because then uh, you don't learn if you repeat them. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close, but what does the next 12 months have in store for a Busy Bees Day Nursery? Uh, Good questions, because we have subject now to this awful virus that is above us. So I just hope that uh, we will be able to continue to operate and the government will help the small businesses, especially the childcare, because mm-hmm. we do need so much help financially. 
So they will put some kind of tools, financial tools to help childcare and to help the, the nursery nest within the private sector mm-hmm. because the schools, they get paid. The private sector don't get paid. So we need some kind of schemes to help my nursery nurses because they are the best and they keep this, this country running. Well, I, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much wish you the best of luck during this period of time and look forward to speaking with you again at some point in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Ayat Wellard, Company Director of Busy Bees Day Nursery. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he he was simply a a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days, um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like, uh, Ron, uh, there, it's also important to have, uh, uh, confidence with, your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters 
I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. Um, me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? 
Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark. Mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just a lack of form or didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind, that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of, very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both, but they're too long to talk about both questions. 
Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows." <laughs> So I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot in the ball and waited to just have a, a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You've want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you, you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> What a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, a laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and, uh, and Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to, to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence how you react and behave to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. 
and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other in the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, e- easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah. The, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at There's that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish 
after '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those ca- those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without? in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top, Managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.